0: Hi, I'm Matt Schrader, creator and narrator of Blockbuster, here with the series designer Peter Bawiec and producer Elena Baviets. Hi. Yes, they're married. (laughs) The uh, last name isn't just a coincidence. In fact, uh, you just welcomed a new addition to the family, Theo. Congratulations. Thank you. This is a special release that we're doing uh, gathered here today remotely through um, the uh, magic of all of these different software Tools, and uh, we're here to tell you a little bit about our story, which is being highlighted by the Dell Technologies Small Business Podference. Think of that as a TED talk from creatives in the podcast space. But before any of that, we want to give you a little update on the upcoming season two of Blockbuster.
1: If you've been following us on social media at Blockbuster Pod, you'll see we've been received so warmly by press like Forbes, The Verge, Gizmodo. And we've been honored to win Best Creative Podcast at the Adweek Podcast of the Year Awards and are in the running now for the Peabody's, the Webby's, New York Festival, Radio Awards and several others. So we're really, really excited. It's not something we thought about much when we started the series last year, but quite the motivational boost for us as we were recording actors for season two. Thanks for getting the word out about Blockbuster. It has really worked, and it's so fulfilling to hear from people saying they listened, they ugly cried at certain scenes. <laughs> We're so honored to be able to make these kinds of things that people will appreciate and care about as much as we do.
2: Yeah, and we've been hard at work on season two, as some of you might have noticed on our social media. And although, like everyone else, we've been hit by the coronavirus thing, well, we've managed to adapt, like also all of you. So we have mm-hmm. brand new remote workflow, and we managed to finish all of our recordings in that fashion. Uh and the great news is we finally have a release date and we're set yeah. for a release in June. And June. Yeah. So we have a lot to share. So first of all, just like last season is going to be incredibly immersive. It's a total
0: Are we giving spoilers here, Peter?
2: Not too much. But it is going to be immersive. Go, go ahead, we can give away a little. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a slightly different story, but we're going to be as big and as bold as before. And of course, like last time, it's researched to the tiniest possible detail Uh, We're as true as it gets to real life. And again, it's a biopod. It's a biopic podcast, as The Verge called us.
0: Biopod. Biopod. The uh, origin of that is still kind of up in the air, but we think Elena invented it.
2: Yeah, Elena
1: thinks she invented it. (laughs) Coined. But there there, there are contenders.
2: And we're also going to be a bit longer. We're going to have 10 episodes instead of Mm -hmm. six. And we're going to be a bit more expansive because this time around, we have over 75 characters. It's
0: a a lot. Uh, so many. Yeah, it's been so much to juggle, but we are uh, we think we're going to pull it off.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was a really long recording process, but we managed and, and everything turned out to be really amazing, especially considering what's happening around us. Mm-hmm. Right. It's self-contained. This season, in some very delicate ways, connects to season one, but you won't need to understand season one to... Uh, listen to season two and just like season one it's an incredibly
0: powerful story so obviously i know some of the some of the sound design that i've heard well we won't play it up too much because expectations are always the enemy yeah. but uh but it sounds so <laughs> cool i can't wait to share it um yeah so
2: there's still a couple things that we have to do uh and unfortunately coronavirus is kind of throwing a wrench in the whole process we still have to do loop group uh, which is when we get a bunch of actors uh in one room to be our mid-ground background that's very specific to some of the scenes that we're shooting Mm -hmm. unfortunately because of coronavirus we can't put more than one person in a room so we're trying to figure out if we wait if we do this remotely uh but one thing we can tell you is we're already so proud of this one that well we can't wait to show it to you guys and what is this season about well there's gonna be a trailer coming out soon so I'm not sure if we can <laughs> so, more. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Maybe, maybe it'll
0: if, be uh, coming out around the corner. Yeah, follow all our social media. Follow social uh, media at and blockbuster.
2: listen in detail to this episode because we'll keep on dropping small spoilers. We can promise that. <laughs> so about this episode, it's a weird time for small business like ours, probably like yours too. And we're, we've had to adapt and solve problems like recording together I mean Mm -hmm. right now we're in three separate locations and we're recording ourselves and we're having a dialogue we can see each other we can hear each other um, but remotely Uh, we still have to have to figure out how to interact how to collaborate as efficiently as before and the truth is it's not easy because we're dealing with creative ideas storytelling we're telling we're talking about emotions and it's much more difficult to talk about those things when you don't feel the other person next to you in the room So we wanted to share with you guys a bit of our journey of how we went about starting this production company that specializes in storytelling and all those stages that we went through.
0: So, if you uh, follow us, and, and please do subscribe to Blockbuster on all of your your podcast listening apps, but you'll see that the author of the series is Epiclef Media. I think now it says Epiclef Originals, and as some of our listeners may know, um, that's uh, my company that I started in in 2015 when I left my job um, as an investigative journalist. I was with CBS at the time. Um, I put my own savings and credit cards and a lot more into camera and audio equipment to start filming a documentary. And that was a film um, about the world's most well-known film composers like Hans Zimmer, John Williams, of course, uh, Danny Elfman, like 50 others that we ended up interviewing. And that film was called Score, a film music documentary. It's where I met Peter. um, It's where I met Elena. And Peter and I worked together on that film. He did the sound for it. He won awards for the sound for it. And its success led to a spin-off interview show that we've been doing for the last three years called score the podcast Amazing. that interviews a lot of these composers working on, on modern things. And it's a, a cool kind of, you know, peek behind the curtain. And that all led us to this idea for blockbuster, which is a scripted narrative mini series that, that put kind of my journalism background and, uh, and Peter's extraordinary sound design together into the same, kind of product that we could uh, it hadn't been done before this idea of that that word again biopod so that's kind of the short of it the challenges like with any creative project are how to build something sustainable that can keep you employed and and keep the creativity flowing so specifically what we're pushing into is this idea of high-end kind of immersive audio that's done almost at a level that you would see on a feature film the storytelling skills
1: yeah and that's what this episode is about, the risk we've taken to build what we have from scratch, with our own sweat and blood. This episode is also part of a broader series on small business success from Dell, which is supporting hundreds of small businesses in the wake of the coronavirus lockdowns. We do want to recognize and acknowledge Dell for this. As a lot of advertisers have pulled out of podcasts due to economic uncertainty here, Dell Technologies has been incredible in supporting and highlighting the Small Business Podcast series of talks. We really applaud them for their commitment to supporting small businesses and trying times, especially those like ours in entertainment, which are completely shut down because you cannot work with actors and be on Beyond Sets and have a lot of people together. And this is what filmmaking is all about.
0: So that. Economic uncertainty is a, a big factor anytime you're starting a business, and especially now, and for a lot of the businesses that already exist, they're working through these things. So really, in this episode, we want to talk about three things. The first of these is our own kind of journey as a creative team, building and, and organizing, creating, investing in the future that we were trying to build. When we were first starting on Blockbuster, there was No such thing as kind of a true drama series yet. So kind of how we overcame the initial trappings of any small business, which are you're having to invest in something that takes some risk. The second thing we want to talk about is what we and other small businesses have in common with some of the the biggest risk taking entrepreneurs um, in the world, including the names everyone knows, the Thomas Edison's and the Alexander Graham Bell's, um, some of the dangers and secrets and then the rewards of being an entrepreneur there, too. And the third part of this is. How to thrive in a struggling economy, which, you know, whatever is at the other end of this, Mm. we don't quite know yet. But there are some parallels to the story of that we detailed in the first season of Blockbuster, this terrible economy of the 1970s and Hollywood cinemas that are failing to uh, attract audiences. And, you know, television, it's free and all of a sudden it's starting to boom. And so what's in store for the future and uh, how can creativity and especially new and unique podcasts thrive
2: right and so what we want to do in this episode is outline for you how to launch grow and maintain your small business Mm -hmm. Uh, what you'll hear from us is our perspective on what was the first spark of that idea uh, what we struggled with and how we had to figure out how to innovate with that struggle in mind and finally how we've grown that concept, that spark with all the issues that we saw, how we've grown that into an actual business. And the truth is, at the end of the day, we're really privileged to be working on something that is so much fun, like immersive storytelling.
0: Yeah. How amazing is that? Yeah. So sit back, relax
2: and enjoy. And and we hope you'll take some of these lessons that we've learned in the process of making podcasts. And maybe you'll be able to apply to apply these uh, to your own passion project.
0: So let's do a quick background on on each of us on this call. I'll start by telling you a little bit about Peter, who is the first person that I met, um, I think, probably a few days before Elena. Mm. He's one of the most prolific young sound designers in Hollywood. Since I've known him, he's gone from doing little documentaries and short films at about the film USC film school. <laughs> hey, uh, to, uh, to enormous movies um, like uh, Last Year's Midway from director Roland Emmerich. And of course, score a film music documentary. Yeah. He works on so many uh, films from Universal Pictures, some Disney things, some other major studio projects and some TV shows, including uh, Modern Family. Um, He's won awards. He's been nominated for a, a lot more. And creatively, Peter is part innovator and part execution. Mm. Um, which will be important as we kind of detail some of the, the ingredients that go into the recipe of of kind of building a small business. And he's from Poland. Yes.
2: Yes, I am from Poland. And uh, <laughs> But really, the approach for every single project, every single movie, every single story I tell is to approach it as an entrepreneur, as a business venture, and to manage it with that mindset. In what I do, there's always an aspect, um, a goal of making it exciting fun. You can hear that in Blockbuster when George Lucas is holding up the phone while John Williams is playing the Star Wars theme. And we travel through the phone line to Steven Spielberg listening on the other end. Uh, But the other aspect is just trying to support the story. Tell, Tell it with sound. And sometimes there won't be narration or dialogue. And we start drawing places events or feelings with sound but we try to build those pieces in a way that's not confusing or disorienting it might be the way someone walks right because we walk in different ways when we're excited or how george fumbles with paper and pen when he's coming up with the names of all the characters of star wars um and so we hear those hesitations in the pencil right those little things but they're never undermining or god forbid eclipsing the story uh, with something distracting or confusing just because it sounds cool. The story has to come first. Uh, but to get there, right. we also need to physically and creatively produce it. And that brings me to Elena Bavits How about that um, transition? My wife, uh, but also the producer of Blockbuster <laughs> Season 1 and the upcoming Season yes. 2, as well as all the other projects that we've got in
0: development. Oh, the top secret Shh. ones. Yeah.
2: Um, Elena's background is she's a film producer, uh, just like me. She, we met at USC. She's produced uh, several feature films that have went on to either film festivals or you can watch them on VOD. And Elena grew up in Moscow. Uh, just like me, she came here to the U.S. to work in film. and But prior to working in film and podcasts right now, she was a journalist. So she also, like me, had to transition into this new world, into this new career path Uh, So there's also Mm -hmm. a bit of this entrepreneurial twisting and bending that we had to do. And you both met at the
0: uh, School of Cinematic Arts at USC. Correct. Yes.
1: And Peter has... Days of audio recordings of Theo, which he's been maniacally recording, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm sure they will make their way into films and TV shows soon, or maybe even blockbuster at some point. Um,
2: yes. Our main unfortunately, th- I I already rigged up microphones permanently next to his bed, so <laughs> no, no, they're, they're rigged
1: to his bed like he drilled <laughs> into the crib. So,
2: yeah, they're permanently screwed on there, so he can't rip them oh, wow. off. You know,
1: basically, our main philosophy is to try and treat podcasts like we treat film productions. There's stories, and if we can make them compelling and with super high production value, we really believe they'll stand out. And lastly, you know Matt Schrader as the narrator of Blockbuster, but he's also the writer and director of the series. He was an investigative journalist for about 10 years with CBS and NBC. He produced major undercover and hidden camera investigations and took on complicated stories that successfully reversed corruption and returned millions of dollars to people.
0: Fighting for the little did, guy. Did
2: you get like a percentage out of it?
0: No. You know, that's that's the thing is you don't uh, – they don't ever give you a reward. Huh. <laughs> I always love digging into documents and, and even a lot of people find it boring. But the data and a lot of that kind of useful information people might not have access to and put it together – into something that's actually useful and that actually makes sense. And that came through in a lot of the news reports that I worked on, some of the investigative stuff. Um, and it's also kind of one of the biggest limitations in the news world is each story is kind of a formula. It has to be self-contained and digestible and mm-hmm. and has to kind of fit the corporate news Uh, environment, it kind of just has to hit certain points and you never really get that depth. So that was something that I was really looking to do a little bit more and what led to quitting my job in news and deciding to go try to fund a documentary, a feature documentary. Hmm. And I really wanted to see a documentary on the art of film composing because we all know these iconic tunes for James Bond and Indiana Jones and Pirates of the Caribbean but no one ever made that documentary. Mm. And uh, so that led to me basically quitting my job. And this first big risk that I took, which was unwise, probably pouring my own money and credit cards into making this documentary film. I started researching camera equipment and, you know, all of these things that I needed to buy or what I could rent or what I needed to know how to use or what I needed to try to recruit someone else for and would they do it for free and all of these other pieces that, that, kind of started to come together.
2: You actually had some technical experience and experience of, you know, telling stories as a journalist. Yes. So So it was kind of an, an extension of some of the background.
0: basic building blocks of those skills. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was just just I wouldn't say I was confident in any way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the main key thing that I was trying to get to was why couldn't something that's journalistic feel like it's a little bit more mm-hmm. immersive even if it comes to something like film music because really Mm -hmm. kind of at its core i always think we feel the music more than we we you know kind of actively listen to it it's it's an emotional kind of thing so i'll I'll fast forward because the film took a couple years to put together and we ended up selling it into uh we sold it to a distributor and it meant that my little epic left media became the production company so we could take the leftover resources from the film mm. that we had just used and start to create other things with it. You know, the microphones that we have and well, a lot I'm, of the I'm, other... I'm
2: I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you there because, again, it's interesting to me, actually, as you're telling this story, it's, again, you made a diagonal move. Yes. It wasn't that you made it, you transitioned into a brand new industry and you had to learn all the basics from scratch. Again, you're taking the lessons that you learned and you're applying it in a new format
0: basically score the documentary led to um, this interest in kind of the the inside world of filmmaking and the idea came about of this biographical picture if we could turn that into a podcast so you think the social network is it's a story about Mark Zuckerberg Amadeus a story about Mozart and the idea here was what is that version of something that's about this this interesting kind of friendship between Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and not just here's the plot but what is driving all of those people at mm-hmm. the time their strengths and weaknesses and, and what make them tick and what are they nervous about and all of these things which you don't often mm-hmm. see in you know a summary of someone's past so our pitch and it's still on a lot of our marketing materials for what blockbuster would be was let's make a movie for your ears mm-hmm. and if we did it right people would come away with um vivid kind of visual images of the scenes that we were creating purely with sound design. You know, there's no images anywhere. It It's impossible on right. an audio platform. But what we've seen a lot from the way people react is they say, when I saw that scene about something and we say, when you saw it and they say, oh, well, when I heard mm-hmm. it and we said, OK, then it's working. And that's a really cool thing. So we were trying to actually paint pictures with sound. Before we jump into that first kind of entrepreneurial challenge, I just want to kind of trace back the origin for the idea of Blockbuster was when we were working on score of film music documentary. Peter, you'll remember because you went through this not nearly as many times as I did, (laughs) but a lot of times we have like a 12 minute stretch of of uh, John Williams scores and and these kind of moments throughout his early career when he was John Williams was first kind of establishing himself. And he just he explodes into all of these super iconic scores, you know, Jaws and then Star Wars and then Close Encounters and then E.T. and Superman and all of these other. Uh, and then Indiana Jones, you know, it's like all of these super famous uh, scores that just give you goosebumps. You're on the edge. Of, it's a roller coaster ride for 12 minutes of the movie that we we put together and you know a lot of times you start to hate what you've created after you see it too many times and you say oh, this is terrible i can't you know but what we found is that it's a really fun ride um through score and uh there's this clip of john williams and steven spielberg and they're explaining the uh jaws theme and john says i told steven here's the theme da 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> steven goes i thought he was joking And uh, and like that was a really interesting little nugget into their relationship because John Williams was not the the name that we now know him as at the time. He had done movies, but none of them that had exploded to the level that Mm -hmm. Jaws would. And, um, you know, at the time, Stephen was really young. Stephen was in his 20s. He hadn't yet made a name for himself, but um, but he was a soundtrack nerd. He'd collected John Williams scores for years so Stephen took John Williams to lunch and this didn't make it into the series, but John was a little older and and he mentioned in an interview, actually, that Stephen didn't really know how to pour the wine mm. and uh, it might have been his first time. And he, he thought it was kind of kind of cute that Stephen was, you know, trying to uh, impress him and bring him onto a project. Mm. And at the same time, I started hearing about George Lucas and how he supported Stephen on Jaws and then their friendship as George was trying to make Star Wars. It needs music and who do we call and how about, you know, just John Williams guy. He's your guy. So we've grown up in this world where Spielberg and Lucas are icons and to the point that there are cultural movements based on what they've built. You know, Stranger Things is basically E.T. It's the nostalgia kind of second wave of a lot of the things from the 80s. But people don't really think of Spielberg and Lucas as once struggling filmmakers They were trying to build things, too, and they were taking on a lot of responsibility. Is very entrepreneurial. Um, Slightly different model, but they are the captains of this ship, and they have this budget, and they have this vision, and they have to execute, and they have to get the right people to help support that and grow that. Oh, absolutely.
2: And and I think it's also something to do with the specifics of the film industry, where uh, this by no means is a
0: nine-to-five job. Now, season two— of Blockbuster is going to advance a, a few of these things, which mm-hmm. we, we can't quite talk about just yet. So be sure to subscribe and all of that good stuff. But the really powerful thing to me in in doing a lot of the research was they had to fight for it. And it's all about building this vision. They're building their own kind of unique business here. And just like small businesses, a lot of films will lose money. Most films lose money. And um, and it's all about fighting for that that shot at actually being a success and 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 if I can just jump what happens with jaws is they finally get it
2: and just like a movie you have to be passionate about the story you're telling it's the same thing that applies to business right where Mm -hmm. you can't make a business uh, out of something you're not interested in Like right people go into a business start their entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey because they're passionate about some idea 'Cause they see a problem, they find a solution to it, and they're like, I think I can make money on this. And movies are the same thing. And those guys like I mean, they coined the term blockbuster, right? Right. It, yep. It's their own category of movies, which nobody thought
0: would ever happen. Right. You're crazy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So our first challenge in making Blockbuster, the podcast, was figuring out how to take that idea, that spark that Peter talked about earlier, and and turn it into something that other people would care about and would appreciate and could potentially make some money, at least make its money back. Um, and really, we were just trying to to make something that was as good as it could possibly be, as good as we could possibly make it. And, uh, you know, we were looking at something like 75 grand to make all of uh, all of the podcasts from scratch. And, uh, you know, that talks that's actors, that's the recording equipment, storage tools, that's the expertise, studio rentals. Right. And all of the voices, the loop groups and music, uh, legal. uh, Then there's the legal and production and, you know, the other elements there that a lot of people uh, don't think about the insurance. (laughs) All of these things have to be part of this. All of that had to be built from scratch. So we had to develop that business plan. And we were talking about starting a new genre of scripted content, basically. I mean, no one has done this kind of biopic model. So it was somewhere between maybe an immersive audiobook mm-hmm. and a movie. But we had to find a little bit of that space because we didn't really, there wasn't a model for this yet. And that's when we faced our first challenge, which, um, is really trying to turn passion into Mm. action.
1: And this seems like an obvious point, but it's the part that very broadly separates the creatives uh, from the business people. So because the world is full of people with great ideas, of inventors that come up with some great product, but they are unsure of how they can actually materialize that into something more and something tangible and real, something they can actually make money on and, you know, make a living off of. That's because inventors live in the realm of what could be rather than what is. There are mm. people who can do both, but it often takes years of training and experience to get there. Right. We see this reflected also in film, where you have working relationships between a director like George Lucas, the creative part of Star Wars, and producer like Gary Kurtz, the business person. These lines blur over time and with experience, just like the business world, but you need those complementary roles to connect a radical and tangible concept you've dreamed up And are so passionate about into a specific action you can take in the real world.
2: Oh, yeah. And in George Lucas's case, that entrepreneurial side is especially valid and incredibly clear. I mean, he was creating visual effects no existing company could even do. And sound effects. And sound effects, right? But like he was especially hands-on with the vis effects. I mean, he was pitching everyone how, oh, we're going to have this robotic arm, the camera's going to be on this, and it's going to glide to the miniatures and everything. And it it was madness. I mean, he had these ideas of how he would shoot Star Wars with these special effects. Nobody's ever done it before. And no doubt about it, it's in books. It's history at this point. He was at the forefront of the revolution of visual effects. And the only way he knew how to do it was to set up his own operation to prove that method of filmmaking actually works company is called Industrial Light and Magic, and they're basically the gold standard for special effects companies. That's right. There are great examples of entrepreneurships throughout history of these concepts at play uh, where someone wanted to change things, the way things were done in order to make it better, bigger, you name it. But they, they needed to change the process to get a slightly different product out of it. And changing the process is a very difficult thing, especially when you're working in teams of people, right? These inventions took years to catch on because they didn't have the complementary roles that, that would help them grow.
0: Right, right. So, you know, example, Edison's light bulb. Edison is responsible for, you know, the first commercially viable light bulb and this kind of new model of this, this new invention, it was met with criticism. It was people thought it was a stupid gimmick compared to the oil lamp. You know why this is ridiculous. You have a little filament involved and, you know, what's wrong with the oil lamp? And it took years before that idea caught on. Um, And the reason was the idea itself wasn't good enough to revolutionize it. It had to come with other things.
2: Oh, yeah. And something that I'm, as a sound person, much more close to is the telephone itself. I mean, in a way, Mm -hmm. the telephone was the kind of beginning of of sound transmission in a way as we know it. And so Alexander Graham Bell patented it in 1876. He went out trying to sell his invention, but everybody laughed him out. Like they did not understand why you would want to do that. And he went to this company called Western Union. They said it was too complex for an average person to use and that it wasn't a tool but a quote-unquote toy.
0: We're going to keep doing telegraphs is what they said.
2: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) great. Love it. So let's do telegraphs, right? And so he went to to the big boys and the big boys said absolutely no. So Bell failed, but instead of that being the end of his story, right, or the end of the story of the telephone, uh. He started his own company with the financial support of his father-in-law and a friend, Thomas Sanders, who was a leather merchant and who actually had experience in one thing that Bell wasn't the best at, which was managing a small business, right? Mm -hmm. So he partnered up with someone who complemented what Bell did in a way that would make this endeavor, the telephone, more feasible. And so together, they scaled this operation up. They began leasing out telephones, which they serviced themselves to, right? Because you're essentially giving this device to people. They can operate it. But sometimes they break and everything. So they also service them. And it, right. of course, it took years. But eventually, Bell Telephone Company and the technology went on to really revolutionize communication over the next century as we know it. Oh, and, yeah. And it not only became a revolution of its own, but everything that we do nowadays, whether it's the cell phone you're holding, right, or the Internet you're using, there's a very high chance it's running over regular phone lines. I mean, it became right. the backbone of our civilization. All communication,
0: right everything that we're using right now during, you know, these these coronavirus has been enabled as a result of this.
2: Of this partnership of two people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just looking at the big picture, Bell's idea was amazing and he had a passion for this. He knew what he was doing in 1876, but that wasn't good enough because he didn't have the partners. He didn't have the support that he needed to make this uh, an actual feasible product, right? This guy, Thomas Sanders. Correct. The leather merchant. Correct. So he's the guy who knew how to run a business and passion became action. A vision became an executed reality. And that brings us to the next stage for many entrepreneurs.
0: Yes, <laughs> using the haters to your advantage. The uh, the second challenge here, because once you get in to actually creating something, you're going to be challenged. And, you know, when we first started out filming interviews for Score, the, the documentary, the feature documentary, you know, I didn't know anyone who was a film composer. Of course, you know, the first question everybody and and their agent has when you email them or you call them, they say, who else is participating? Mm. And no one wants to be in it if nobody else is is uh, is in it yet. And so there's always this question of like, how do you get that that first kind of critical mass to be able to you know, actually say, oh, well, we have, you know, A, B, C, D that are all part of this. And then that hopefully makes it a lot easier because people trust, OK, if they're in it, then this must be this must be legit. It, it was extraordinarily difficult to get the first interviews because our answer was, no one yet but we hope to get you know such and such and then we have this laundry list of composers (laughs) that we were hoping to to you know get access to um who are way too busy to to sit down with us based on just some cold call to their offices and we had some people refuse at first i i remember one composer um who who shall not be named now but a very very famous composer who um james newton howard No, no, it's not him. Uh, But someone who uh, who you
2: got to back up, we have to cut this out.
0: (laughs) It was someone who just said, I'm just not that interested. You know, Hmm. how do you overcome that? That's where this action comes in. Our plan on score was to interview all of the people at the edge of this industry first. So we would start with the agents and managers and executives who could comment on film music history. And evolution and, and hopefully lead us to one or two, you know, real composers that we could interview after that. And that strategy worked. We shot over uh, 50 interviews in all, and it ended up being more than we needed. And almost everyone made it into the final film. But it was that action plan that was the key to the whole documentary. And it, it led us to this realization that everyone who had doubted us um, along the way. And you always think when you hear that, there's always the the self-doubt of, you know, am I nuts for trying to do this because people are literally telling me no, because I just don't want to. And, you know, h- how do you rebound from that? And um, and then at the end of this, mm. it's so satisfying if you're able to kind of power your way through that um, and, and will your way to, to an end product. And now a lot of these people we had reached out to were really impressed that we'd pulled it all off. And we Mm -hmm. ended up inviting many of them to, uh, to the premiere screening also, um, including some that we never actually ended up interviewing. Um, Mm -hmm. but they were then very supportive, which was, was great. So with Blockbuster season one, you know, we approached several podcast networks and it's a different relationship with, you know, a scripted podcast thing. And it's a very new thing, too. So I don't know that there's necessarily a, you know, one right way to do this. But we approached several people early on. Um, We'd never made a podcast before, uh, a scripted podcast. And we knew we could probably figure it out. But we needed the right partners who believed in us. And um, we approached several, you know, of the major podcast networks. All of them had some issue with, you know, our our style of storytelling or, you know, certain certain things that we were doing in a way that they were unfamiliar with. Um, You know, if you think of podcasts, a lot of people still think of it as something that you, you know, record talking about movies in your garage or a true crime story or something, you know, along those lines. And most companies have mm. unscripted departments and then they have fiction departments. And we were not fiction, but also we weren't really documentary either. This wasn't us interviewing people about Steven Spielberg. This was us, you know, doing all of the research to be able to put together a story and tell it in kind of the most immersive and organic way that we could. We could Again, that, that biopic model. But none of these podcast networks really knew how to do this. One executive I remember at A major network said Mm. to us, we just weren't feeling the format of the show. We don't we don't think it'll work. You know, so here we are several months into developing this story of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas that we really like. We find so kind of magical and inspirational. And all of the people in this industry Mm. are saying it's a bad idea.
1: Actually, I just want to point out that we were much further than developing this story.
0: Yeah, we, we were recording reco-
1: already. Yeah, I think we actually were like in like heavy in post production. So, you know, we just pulled off this, like, you know, it is mini series, yeah. but it is pretty big as far as production and post production goes. And it's very right. time consuming. So we put all of this money into it, all of those resources, all of those work hours. And then what we're hearing is like, well, you know, we don't understand what this format is. You know, what is a narrative bio pod? How, you know, doesn't fit the model it's so different it's so unique like we don't know what to do with this we don't know how it's gonna fit into our existing slate and things like this
2: and that's pretty much the moment that comes right before the breakthrough like for us looking back it's the western union saying they're not interested in this new device that's a little bit different we don't understand how it works and everything like that it's like okay that's perfectly fine uh but all that would change for our upcoming season two, which is great news. Yes. Uh, because we were surprised in a way also overwhelmed by how this whole series blew up when it was released. Apple featured us. And then we got glowing reviews from Forbes, The Verge, Hollywood Reporter, Gizmodo. And, and like it's just one after the other, one after the other. And all, all over the world, which was also insane that we we do these yeah. interviews in different languages, and just using Google Translate to answer these questions that we could barely understand, and our series won one of the biggest honors: AdWeeks Podcast of the Year award, which was just like, right. First of all, I didn't even best know best creative podcast, best creative podcast. All thanks to our listeners, because without you guys, yeah, nobody would know about it.
0: Spreading the word, yeah,
2: yeah. Thank you for the love. So a lot yep. of things happened that, if we would have said back then, well. We guess you're right, networks. This doesn't fit the standard. Well, I guess that's it, right? But we decided to push through, right? And it turned out to be the best decision we could have made.
1: And I think like in, in our case, I don't know what it was. Was it too late to turn back at that point? Because, you know, the, the series were, you know, almost completed. I remember a week where Matt and I were pitching a network after network after network mm. for the whole week, pretty much. I don't know how many we pitched, but it was a lot. And every single one said, mm, yeah, you know, we don't know. And and ultimately it was a no from every single one. And, you know, were there thoughts like, oh, you know, maybe we completely missed the mark on this. Maybe, you know, maybe no one needs this. Um, maybe we were wrong. Uh, you know, thoughts like this did creep up. And but what an like, expensive
0: no. mistake if we did. Yeah, and what an <laughs> expensive mistake if we did. We're burning through cash to try to make something new. Hmm.
1: Exactly. But then at the same time, like we would listen to the episodes as they were being completed. And to me personally, it was like goosebumps every single time. And I was like, if I, like, if it makes me feel this way, I am sure it's going to make other people feel this way. So as we started working on season two we went back and spoke to several podcast companies who now wanted to work with us because at this point we had something under our belt so we proved the concept, so to say. in the first time people didn't know what it was and what to do with it, but this time they looked at it, they were able to listen to the whole thing, they saw the response Mm -hmm. we had from the audience and they were like, oh, okay, I think we know what we can do with this. So, But the hurdle was the same for any small business that's trying to break in, when people didn't believe in us, we had to go prove ourselves and the vision paid off. So sometimes, right. sometimes people are not going to believe in you. It may be financiers, it may be your partners, it may be even actually your family and friends, that also happens. Um, but vision pays off, especially a well-executed one. And if you believe that this is something that's going to bring something good into the world that a lot of people may need, um, persevere. So, and the parallels to George Lucas's biggest struggle in Star Wars, uh, then an eight million dollar movie, is obvious here too. Ah, we like to sure. our story to. We're the just limit, like George but, Lucas, right? It's you know, <laughs> just like George Lucas, but but Pretty I much think the same thing. every entrepreneur can relate to his struggle because yes, um, well,
0: it's such a pure example.
1: Yeah, it was a story that George and his producer Gary Kurtz tried to sell a lot of different to a lot of different studios. Yep. The Star Wars, and they all passed up. They also, none of them understood the format. And once they right. found a financier, 20th Century Fox in this case, there were a lot of critics. The executives, all but one, Alan Ladd Jr., turned on the project. When George fell behind schedule and got sick, and they started floating out the idea of replacing him as director, he pushed through.
0: Right. That perseverance. A,
1: yeah. There was a point, of course, when George was convinced this was all going to be a failure. He still was doing his Mm. best to make this project everything it could be, and he never gave up on this. But imagine that you are creating something and, you know, the higher ups come in and they say, oh, you know, we think you can't actually finish this, so we're going to replace you.
0: And especially it keeps it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse too. It keeps Absolutely. being, you keep thinking, okay, well, I'm going to keep working through this. And then it's even worse the next day and the next week and then a month yeah. later. And then you if, you know have a heart attack or think you do at least. And it, like, how bad can things get?
2: Right, because exactly. even and, we
0: had to pivot at one point, right?
2: Right. Because we assumed this is the way it's going to go and turned out, no, that's not how it was meant to be. We had to pivot. And that was the problem that, we have to realize as entrepreneurs that there's a point in time where you just
0: have to pivot. Yeah. You never want to give up on what the vision is. If you think it's a winning vision, but you, you, you definitely need to adapt as things come and go. I think
1: there is a balance also. Like, you know, if you have a vision, and your project costs, you know, ten million dollars, and you only have a hundred dollars to your name, right? <laughs> right. You <know? laughs> maybe re- re-evaluate here. Like, do not put right. your family in peril. Um, <laughs> so that's
0: why it didn't. This series didn't star Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, there has to be a balance. You have to, uh, you know, weigh your chances. Um, be- before you you know embark on such an endeavor yep um but yeah Star Wars could mm. not have revo- revolutionized the world if George Lucas had given in
2: right but you'll you'll also agree that the inspiration also kicks in again for us on season two right
0: oh yeah. absolutely
2: where it's we know this is working and um, the, the lessons that we learned, before we did blockbuster and then the lessons we learned on blockbuster season one, we're applying all those and it's just like turbocharging the whole project suddenly. I mean, okay, so George Lucas is kind of like the inventor, Alexander Bell, right? Mm-hmm. He just needed help and support to build the product, the business, the process that he wanted, the, to the try to achieve he this had. vision. He yes, right. Someone to back him up in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about necessarily financially back him up. Although, of course, that's part of the whole thing. But for George
0: Lucas, I think that was
2: Gary Kurtz, right?
0: 20th yep. Century Fox. Definitely. in the first trying to get it, you know, legs in the first place. Have some oh, yeah. studio interested. What do you think, Universal? No. What do you think, Paramount? No. What do you think? All of these, eventually they end up with 20th Century Fox. Yeah. And it was Gary
2: who believed in it. And with Gary came 20th Century Fox. And then it was his wife, Marcia, saving him. Yep. Right. In the edit process, it was John Williams stepping up and like making something that's never been done before. A space opera. Yep. His friend, Steven Spielberg and everyone. I mean, I remember that scene in the, in the Chinese restaurant, right. Um, it was a terrible screening, uh, for friends and family, uh, All these people around George Lucas decided to just embrace his vision. They went to this Chinese restaurant.
0: They picked it apart. They said, here are the problems with this.
2: Exactly. And they took it apart like a puzzle and they reassembled it. And all George needed was some nudging into the right direction. I mean, the vision was there, right? Right. Um, He just needed the right support and I guess that's also really important. Don't forget about this, having the support team in place. People that uh, they might not be uh, 100% creatively involved, but they have to be involved in, in helping navigate you sometimes in their own way of understanding, right? Right. In their own way of reading the maps.
1: And that brings us to the third challenge, which is make it perfect. So this sounds like an impossible goal. But the key is in how we define perfection. It doesn't mean everything in Steven Spielberg's first big movie, Jaws, or George Lucas's dream movie, Star Wars, is going to be the best. It -hmm. just means everything is going to be as good as he can possibly make it. The key is years of preparation and planning. Working out all the kinks is what every writer does. But what about the little things? Steven struggled to build an industry around his shark for Jaws to make it perfect. They hit three of them, the mechanical sharks. And when the time came to
0: film them, none of them worked. And how are we going to have a movie about a shark yeah. with no shark that we can actually shoot?
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, their solution was uh, his solution, I guess, was well, it was actually John Williams's idea that John. the shark, the shark and the music for the shark uh, ended up being the shark. Right. So the theme mm. is the shark. And we actually see. Um, the shark itself very scarcely in this movie
2: and in turn for george lucas it was also about reinventing everything from the technical aspect of filmmaking right it was still storytelling but he was doing it in a different way with the special effects that haven't been done before in season one we told the story how he wanted to create that robotic arm that naturally it was expensive hundreds the camera of, right yeah i mean nobody nobody put a camera on a robotic arm for a movie before on a scale like this right and he suddenly wanted to do trench runs for the movie star wars right. with this robotic arm like that's not been done before and so hundreds of these shots have never been done before how do you even agree how do you green light a movie as a studio and you say yeah let's do this no one's done it before. Here's a budget. Here's We're not sure schedule. how to do it yet. Go but shoot it.
0: Give us money. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's exactly. to the
1: point of having the right partners because maybe the other studio, if they agreed to make this movie, would have said no to this completely and shut it down.
2: Yep. So, right.
1: Yeah. It worked out the way it should have.
2: Well, yes. But it's not as easy, right? Because it's very easy for everyone to say, oh, yeah, this is a great success story. But we also have to like brace for impact in a way. Uh, because for George, he completely ran over budget and yep. not a small over budget, but like a massive balloon over budget. It backfired on him big time uh, because he basically kind of had a heart attack, didn't have a heart attack, but had a heart attack. And he was just pushing it so hard, no matter what, that, I mean, essentially people start turning against you also. You start making more enemies. You you become aggressive. He put his own money, his own wealth, his relationship with his friends, family, right? Even with his wife uh, on the line, um, he was all in, right? He was all in and he knew at that point, he saw that what he was creating, that was worth it. That vision was starting to take shape of of something material and he knew he just had to push through it. Just the best possible version that he could have made at that point. And I mean, I'm sure there's regrets and things could have been done differently. Of and course. But
0: right. There always is. And there our new season go. ties into this uh, story of, of the mm-hmm. entrepreneurial struggle, too. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, we'll, we'll have a, a trailer out soon. So be sure to subscribe uh, to Blockbuster on all your favorite podcast apps. But um, our uh, lead character encounters obstacle after obstacle and doesn't understand why the ideas are failing. And the only way out is to try to, you know, dig deeper, fight your way out with the tools that you have. And if you don't have the tools, you make them. Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've got to either find them or make them. And uh, and anything less than perfect will never be good enough. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, in the case of um, Epic Left Media and what we're doing in podcasts now, that means, you know, I've always thought it's improving by 1% every time. You know, each time, just, just get it a little bit better. And then that 1%, you know, compounds, if you know anything about how the math of that works and it's, you know, after two months of 1% every day, you know, the podcast is, is 200% then, you know, it's twice as good as what it was, uh, when it was first, you know, written on paper and now we've made it even better. And then if we're doing something to eight months, you know, like we, we, I think did about nine months for season one of blockbuster, um, You know, that's a thousand percent, 10 times better than we originally had it. Um, And, you know, in some filmmakers cases, this goes on for years of just trying to punch it up a little bit, you know, bit by bit. And their aim is really just to try to reach something that's unattainable, that idea of, of perfection.
2: Oh, yeah. And, you know, you go until it's perfect.
0: If it can be a little bit better. Yeah. Take that. Take that every time. Do it every time. Oh, yeah. How many times did we nudge dialogue around? (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) we we never stopped doing that. A half beat of this. And yeah, I think
2: we're still doing that. We never stopped doing that. (laughs) Uh, We're nudging, nudging all the time until we have, you know, scenes that we really love. Scenes that make you feel. Yeah. Scenes that make us feel. And we hope that it makes our audience feel too, right?
0: And with the guiding principle of like, let's just get this 1% better. Mm. And sometimes you luck out and it's 10 percent better and you think, wow, (laughs) we really we really found it here. But um, but just if every move you make will improve it a little bit, you're eventually going to get there. But our challenge is
2: really in fixing everything that we notice that can be improved. And it's about making those moments powerful, making it matter and at the same time giving it a feeling of perfect. What you come away with is a creative product that you're proud of.
1: And after our first season aired and even before we were in the running for any awards, Cadence 13, a major podcast network, expressed an interest in working with us for this season, Mm -hmm. for season two. In many ways, they are our Gary Kurtz, our producing
2: buddy. Mm,
1: They handle the parts we're less familiar with, the parts they know from their breakout shows like To Live and Die in LA and their original series. That's
0: the key. That's the key that's the key that's where you want to take off we know what we don't know and we end up with a complementary relationship that allows our business to keep building and and growing um, you know because of score we have a successful now spin-off podcast series that interviews the top film composers in the world called score the podcast just interviewed Danny Elfman where we have a wonderful music sponsor that supports that series in in similar ways here and ultimately we get to do what we really love and tell powerful and inspiring stories for a living to, to share them with you uh, for free Uh, and uh, pardon the ads. That's that's how all of this gets made possible. But um, we now have plans to make several new biopods in the future. Plus um, our first fiction series that we've been developing.
2: Epic Love media is a small business that, really couldn't have existed five years ago, right? It's an emerging field, these podcasts. And there's a unique angle of high production value that we have. And we also have original score and true stories that have never been told in these ways. We got to this point through hard work and public support through all of you fans following Blockbuster and Score on social media. And then us building the next thing. You learn something new each step of the way. And then you apply those lessons and make the next one a little better than the last one. And then the next one even better.
0: We turned our passion into action. We overcame the the people who doubted us, the haters, the people who turned us down. And we get to make things other people will enjoy for a living as perfect as as we're capable of making them. One uh, percent better every day.
1: And we're finishing the next season of Blockbuster now. It's the most advanced thing we've ever made. The story is intoxicatingly inspiring. The sound design makes you feel like you're there. The original music is taken to a level no podcast has ever taken it, and in a way that it will support the story.
0: We thank you for coming along with us on this chat through the history of our small business production company, Epiclef Media, and Blockbuster, and the inspiring stories we can't wait to take you on in the coming years. Your support, of course, is crucial to any small business. And if you want to be a part of Blockbuster this new season, uh, please share it, rate it, uh, support it by buying a shirt or bonus features on our website at getblockbuster.com and uh, get your name in the credits of the new season. And be sure to give us a shout out on social media, at Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as we launch into this new season. And follow me at Matt Schrader. For Elena Bavietz And Peter Baviets, I'm Matt Schrader. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you.